From the moment that sin entered the world, human beings have been asking the question, who is the greatest? Wars have been fought in an attempt to answer this question. Coups are initiated in order to answer this one question. People are spending their lives in prison because of this one question. Companies are bought and sold because of this one question. Fortunes are won and lost because of this one question. Lives have been torn to shreds and lives have been built to the highest of heights because of this one question. And churches have been built and churches have been torn apart because of this one question. Who's the greatest? It's because of this one question that we read stories such as um, New York Times columnists plagiarizing or fabricating articles. It's because of this one question that that sports teams do things like uh, the New England Patriots taping the signals of the other teams so they can get advantage even though it's against the rules. It's because of this one question that that uh, former Indiana University men's basketball coach was uh, fired and uh, probably is going to be sanctions against him and the university because he made hundreds of, of illegal phone calls to recruits trying to get them to come and play for him so they could be the greatest. In our culture, if you want to be successful, if you want to get ahead, if you want to beat that person for that prime job... You have to cut corners. You have to punch up your resume. You have to exaggerate the facts. You might have to spread some rumors about the competition. But you do whatever you have to do in order to be the greatest. We struggle with this question as well. Because we all want to be great at something. We make the greatest pie. Or we've got the highest score on the video game. Or we get the best grade in the class. Or we finish the test in the fastest time. Someone reminded me recently that we even attempt to one-up one another about bad things. You know, you come in and say, I had a bad day. And another person says, you think you had a bad day? Wait till you hear about my day. We're competitive about who's the least competitive. Now, this desire for greatness is at the heart of most of our disagreements in life and in the church. This is certainly the case with the disciples of Jesus. Mark tells us that as Jesus and his disciples make their way to Capernaum, the disciples who seem to be lagging a bit behind Jesus get into a rather heated disagreement about this very question. Who's the greatest? I suspect Peter, James, and John make a case that they are the greatest because, after all, Jesus took them and not everyone else up to the mount where he was transfigured along with Moses and Elijah. But I'm sure the other disciples make their cases as well. When they arrive at their destination, they get into the house and Jesus says, Hey, guys, I heard you having a little discussion back there on the road. What was that all about? They don't want to say anything. Something within them knows that that discussion, that argument, probably isn't going to please Jesus. Despite our desire for 
greatness and recognition, something in us knows that the unhealthy side of this, of trying to answer this question is antithetical to spirituality. Our solution, however, isn't typically to change our behavior, is to disguise our desire for greatness. We gossip. We become perfectionists. In the name of ministry, we work to gain control. We fight to protect our church territory. We criticize. And we do it all very subtly. But we do it. And we know that something isn't right, just as the disciples know something isn't right. Their silence betrays them. And so Jesus says, okay, guys, let me go over this with you again. My time on earth is drawing to a close, and you really need to get this. This is important. So let me explain it to you one more time. And Jesus, who is the master of teachable moments, turns this awkward encounter into a classroom setting. Jesus sits down. Jesus sits down, which is the, uh, the position for a rabbi who is teaching. And that signals to the disciples, and it would later to Mark's readers, this is really important. So don't miss this. And Jesus says to them, when you talk about who is the greatest, that's a question that God's, God is concerned about too. You read the Gospels, you read all of Scripture. God is concerned about that question as much as we are. It's not a a frivolous question. it's It's an important question. It's not a peripheral question. It's actually... It's actually essential to to what it means and understanding what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's an important question. But what we discover from what Jesus tells them is that God's understanding of how we answer this question is just a little bit different than how we tend to answer it. And so Jesus says to them, here's the formula. If you want to be first... Choose to be last. If you want to be the greatest, choose to be a servant. Actually, he says, choose to be a servant of all. Give your time and your energy and your attention to serving other people. Now, I suspect that the disciples probably... um, probably look back at Jesus with a blank stare and glassed over eyes. And the look on their faces, their expressions is communicating, what are you talking about, Jesus? That's not the way you do things. What? And I imagine Jesus saying to them, okay, I understand. Being a servant of all is it's kind of big and, and generic and a little bit difficult to get your hands around. So let me paint a picture for you. And Jesus scans the crowd and sees a little child. And he says, he motions the child over to him. 
Isn't it interesting how children never seem to be afraid of coming to Jesus? But there are a whole lot of adults in the Gospels who don't want to have anything to do with them. So Jesus motions a little child over to him. And, hey, Joel, would you come help me a minute? Come here a second. Just come right over here. He's a brave young man. Jesus says to to the disciples, if you want to know what it means to be a servant, I want you to think about this little child. Because when when you welcome a little child, what you're really doing is welcoming me. And when you welcome me, you're welcoming my father who sent me. Being the greatest is investing yourself, your time, your energy, your attention into children. And he says, this is so significant. It's really what defines us as disciples. Don't tell me that that the kingdom of God isn't radical and countercultural to how we typically think. This is hard for us because children aren't really all that powerful. They're really all that influential. Children can be easily manipulated. They're weaker than we are. And honestly, in the, in, the, in the way the world values things, they don't really, they don't really add that much to, to how we view value and worth. About getting ahead, about moving forward, about climbing the ladder. Seldom, if ever, do children help us do that. But Jesus says, that's why my kingdom is so different. You need to welcome children. And instead, we tend to push them to the margins. You know, we we say to children, don't bother me now, I'm doing something important. Implying that they are unimportant. Someone was telling me recently that when their children were small, they, they would often go out and play with them and and often they were outside, and the granddaughter of a next-door neighbor came over a lot of times to play as well. And one day she said to this man, my grandfather can't figure out why you'd want to waste your time playing with little kids. But Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's all about little children. And welcoming children, receiving children, accepting children is what the kingdom is about. And Jesus says we do that not because children can get us something, not because they will be useful to us, but simply because we care about them. And we don't welcome children by pushing them into adulthood so that we have more in common or that they're easier to deal with. We just welcome them, and we accept them, and we love them. Jesus says, you welcome me by welcoming children. Thank you. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. 
in terms of why we have such a difficult time staffing our children's ministries in the church. And we're not alone in that. There are lots of churches that struggle with that issue. But, and I know that not everyone is gifted to work with children, but honestly, it, it ought not be as difficult as it is for us. We've been announcing, for instance, the last couple of weeks that we need help during the summertime with children's church and Sunday school. Because the majority of the people who staff those ministries during the school year are college students. And after announcing that for the last couple of weeks, the need is really not that much less than it was when we started announcing it two weeks ago. And I know that working in children's church means missing a worship service and teaching a Sunday school class means that you don't go to your own class that, that you may have for adults. And it takes time and energy, but honestly, this is the kind of thing that you do as a humble act of service by those who are highly valued by Jesus. So I want to tell you this morning, there are sign-up sheets on the back table for children's church and Sunday school. I, I think it speaks volumes about our church, and about us as, as a community of believers, that if when this day is over, we've taken care of that problem. That's done. Now, I'm not trying to heap guilt on you. Well, maybe I am a little bit. <laughs> but I am trying to tell you what Jesus says. And based on Jesus' words, it makes me wonder if the problem we have staffing our children's ministries, honestly, all year round, not just in the summer, but maybe the problem is that deep inside, we don't really think that our children are all that important. They're not that important to the greater good of our lives and our church and our world. Theologian N.T. Wright said, what we do with our children and what we do to our children is a worryingly, in, worryingly accurate indication of what we think about the world and God and ourselves. To many adults, children are just a nuisance. But the point is that they are a nuisance, if they are, because they matter. They disturb our organized adult world because they are real people. And real people, especially real people who aren't on the cutting edge of society who are going to, to get us things that the society values. Real people like that are difficult sometimes. And welcoming children, giving our time and energy to little ones, sometimes can be very frustrating, because sometimes children can be frustrating. I heard a story about a first grade school teacher who was having a horrible day. It was pouring down rain outside all day, so she and her 37 first graders had been cooped up in their room, no recess, nowhere else to go, just in that room all day. The kids were bouncing off the walls. And no one in that room, not even the children, were, more, were anticipating that 3 o'clock bell more than the teacher was. At 2.45, she noticed that it was still pouring down rain outside, so she decided she needed to start getting them ready to go to the bus. And so she found all the raincoats and rain hats and boots and got them with the right people, and everybody was ready and all dressed except for one little six-year-old. He couldn't get his boots on. 
So she sits down next to him and for the next few minutes tugged and pulled and yanked and shoved and pushed. And it was they were hard. The boots didn't have snaps or hooks or anything. Finally, she got them on his feet. And he said to her, teacher, these ain't my boots. <laughs> she wanted to scream, but she took a deep breath instead and began the task of taking them off. Yanking and pulling and she finally got them off of his feet. And he said to her, you know, they're my sister's boots, but she lets me wear them. You know, sometimes children are frustrating and and they're messy and they're difficult and they can be time consuming and frustrating. But we say that as if you and I aren't. But the kingdom of God is about welcoming people who are messy and difficult and frustrating and time consuming. It's a hallmark of the church and of God's people. I don't think the disciples believe that Jesus is being literal with them about children when he has this little one come and stand among them. And that's why when you get to chapter 10 and people are bringing little children to Jesus to have him bless them, the disciples are shoving them away. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And I can see Jesus looking at them and saying, what part of welcoming the little children don't you understand? Oh, you were being literal about that? Yes. Yeah, I was. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus says to them, If anyone causes one of these little ones to fall away from me, you'd be better off to have a huge millstone tied around your neck and have somebody throw you into the sea. Until you can welcome these children as they are into your life, you're going to have a difficult time welcoming me into your life. Because your unwillingness to pay attention to these little ones is rooted in your need to be first and to be the greatest and to think that you're better than that and to believe that you're too good to spend time with people who can't really do that much to improve your position and your status in the world. Jesus is speaking Literally. But I think he's also speaking figuratively. I think he's also using them as an, as an example of all the people in society who are not naturally attractive to us. The least and the lowly among us. People who have no power, no influence. They aren't going to get us anywhere in this stuff that we think is important in this world. And he says you need to welcome them and care for them, and embrace them, and give your time and attention and energy to them. He says, if you want to know what it's like to follow me and to be great in my kingdom, welcome these little children who represent me, and welcome the poor who represent me, and welcome the imprisoned and hungry who represent me, and welcome the needy who represent me. Everyone welcomes the rich and powerful. Everyone welcomes adults who can do something for them. 
everyone welcomes people who help us move up in the world. But the kingdom of God is a dissenting voice to the value system of this world. The kingdom of God gives a voice to the voiceless. And that is God's radical answer to the question of who is the greatest. I think it's extremely important for us to notice that this incident comes on the heels of Jesus' teaching about his betrayal and his death and his resurrection. The disciples do not understand what Jesus has told them. It's interesting to me that, and they, they say they're afraid to ask him. Now, they're not afraid to argue about who's the greatest, but they are afraid to ask Jesus to clarify his teaching. But it's not a coincidence that their ignorance of his death and resurrection leads them right into this argument about which of them is the greatest. What strikes me that the most powerful remedy for our self-centeredness is right here in front of us. The bread and the cup that bring us face to face once again with Christ's death and resurrection, keep us focused on who he is and what he has done rather than on us and what we might do. As we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are vividly confronted with the one who is the greatest. The one who has done the greatest thing that anyone could ever do. And as the bread is absorbed in our mouths, and as the juice cascades down our throats, we are once again shocked and startled and brought up short at what it means to be great. It means suffering and death and sacrifice and welcoming little ones who don't do anything to further us in this world. The bread and the cup lead us to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. To him who is the eternal first and who chooses to be the eternal last. To him who is the greatest and who chooses to be the servant of all. And it is only in his grace that we will ever choose to be servants of all. And we cannot miss that this is a word about how a Christian community operates. This is a word to the church. It's about what it means to be the church, to be the community of Christ's followers. It's a word about how to act in Christian community. And it's a radical word. As radical as giving our time and attention to children. As radical as a table of bread and wine. And the church needs this word because we like to argue. And we like to get our own way. We like to be in control. We like to judge the value and worth of people in the same way that the culture around us does. And we like the disciples argue and fight about who's the greatest, who's more spiritual, who's more holy. Whose theology is more like Jesus? Whose worship style is more attuned to Jesus? And why do we argue? Because we want to be right. Because we want to be recognized. Because we want to be the greatest. 
And Jesus turns our thinking upside down. But you cannot welcome little ones into your life without it changing your life. You will not welcome these little ones. You will not give them time and attention and energy until you begin to see your life in Christ as defined by being a servant. Jesus says, the way to greatness is service. If you want to be first, you choose to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you give your time and energy and your attention to little ones and to people who can really give you nothing back in return. And here's your example. This table. This table that reminds us that he who is the king became servant of all for we who are children. Gracious Father, may your words speak deep into our hearts. Open our eyes to the radical nature of your kingdom in Christ Jesus. Amen.